Can we turn then to Matthew's Gospel, chapter t- uh, 9? Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. And I would like to read one or two verses from the end of the chapter. Matthew chapter 9, and let us read from verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad, as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Tonight then, we want to choose for our text here in Matthew chapter 9. And we want to look at verses 37 and 38. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And these are the verses that we wish to meditate upon this evening in context we trust uh, tonight. The title I want to give to the meditation is Laborers Required. Laborers Required. As we have intimated, this is our annual harvest thanksgiving service. And indeed, uh, we as individuals and as homes and as families and as a congregation should be extremely thankful to the Lord our God for the way that he has provided for us in temporalities. We are maybe not so aware of how much we depend upon agriculture and other ways that we get our food. But that was not the case at the time we're looking at here in the first century. The people of Israel were aware of their dependence upon the harvest. And they were ones who were commanded by the Lord their God to note this and to have occasions when they would gather together and they would give thanks for the harvest, for the Lord's provision for them. The Feast of Harvest, it's called in Exodus chapter 23, and it's known as the Day of the First Fruits in Numbers chapter 28 and verse 6. Pentecost was a feast to commemorate the completion of the grain harvest. And as with our modern technology and modern way of life, we're maybe not so conscious of 
our great need to acknowledge God in the way that our food is provided for us. Most of us will simply go to the supermarket and we will purchase what we require. And there is such a great variety of food and so much of it, and we barely give it any thought. But we have it only because God provides it for us. And therefore it's fit and appropriate for us that we should acknowledge our indebtedness to the Lord our God. And that's what we want to do tonight. But we want to derive some uh, spiritual lessons and applications for us in order that we would not simply thank the Lord for our food and for the harvest, but that we would recognize there is another harvest and we want to be engaged and involved in this harvest. And this is the harvest that Jesus is referring to in verses 37 and 38. And verse 36 that we read, he saw the multitudes and was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as a sheep having no shepherd. He wasn't so much concerned about the lack of food and there may well have been a lack of food, but he was ultimately concerned about their eternal and their spiritual well-being. Well, there's one or two things that I would like to say about this harvest. The harvest that is mentioned here, the harvest truly is plenteous. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. One or two thoughts for your attention and for my own attention, that we might focus upon this great harvest of the Lord. Notice, it's laborers he's looking for. It's laborers he's calling for. It's not loafers. It's not daydreamers. It's not idlers. It's not mere talkers. It's not those who have just good intentions. He's looking for laborers. And the Bible would teach us, if we go even from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the Lord does not use loafers. He does not use idle persons. Jacob, who was later to be called Israel, worked night and day in all weathers. He specifically mentions this in Genesis chapter 31 when he was arguing or remonstrating with Laban. He worked night and day in all weathers. Moses was tending sheep before the Lord called him to his great work. Elisha, when he was going to take over from the great prophet Elijah, he was plowing and he would have had some, or he did have, the scripture tells us quite clearly and plainly he did. 
He had servants there, but he was working along with the servants. He was active, he was busy, the Lord called him. What is a Christian? There's many ways to describe a Christian, many ways, and all of them are accurate. But one way to describe a Christian is, he's a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. He seeks to walk in the footpaths, in the ways of Christ. What did Christ do? Christ was a carpenter. He worked with his hands. Then he began his public ministry, and he worked night and day. He went about doing good. <coughs> the disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, were fishermen. They worked with their hands. They would have been out in all weathers, seeking to provide a living for themselves and for their homes and for their families. They were workers. Matthew, who was involved in a, uh, one would say, a questionable activity. He was a tax collector. Now, we need to collect taxes, but most of them were dishonest. But here he was. He was at the receipt of custom. He was about his money. He was about his books. He was about his ledger. There he was in his table. Jesus passed by and said, follow me. He was called while he was busy. He was a busy individual, and he left everything and began to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Saul of Tarsus. Yes, this self-righteous Pharisee, full of zeal, but all confused. He had zeal without knowledge. He was seeking to persecute the church. He was someone who was diligent. He was active. He was so active that he went to the authorities asking for permission to go to D Damascus that he might round up the Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem in order that they might be dealt with appropriately as he thought. What am I saying? I am saying that he was someone who was a worker. Yes, he was involved in something that was wrong, that's true, but the energy that he once had in promoting and defending falsehood, when he was converted, it was transformed, and he began to be someone who lived for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. He worked night and day. He labored, as himself would say, I believe, above all the apostles. He was a laborer. We may well wonder, why did we read Matthew 20? Well, we're not going to go into the meaning of the parable there at the beginning of that book, other than to state that those who were idle, who the Lord Jesus Christ in the parable employed them on the 11th hour, they were only idle because they couldn't get a job. They were in the right place to find a job. That was the marketplace, and anyone looking for labor would go to where these men were. And although they were idle, it was because they could not find work. If someone would employ them, they would go to work. <clears throat> 
So they were not idle by choice. The kingdom of God, working in the kingdom of God, and we're not just talking here about evangelism, about gathering in lost souls. I'm sure that's what the Lord Jesus Christ was talking about from our text, but the principles that we can derive from this can be applied to our own personal Christian walk. Basically, friends, if we're in the kingdom of God and we want to bear spiritual fruit, then we have got to be laborers. And yes, if we're in the kingdom of God and we have this responsibility that we want to evangelize and we want to see many brought into the kingdom and we're active for that or we desire that, then we must indeed be laborers and not loiterers. That's what Jesus Christ is teaching us here. And therefore, if we are going to get on in the kingdom of God, if we're going to make... Uh, progress, spiritual fruit, or to be successful in any sense, the Lord looks for laborers. There's something else we could derive here too. It's laborers, plural. That's what he says, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Send forth laborers, into the harvest field. Ordinarily, friends, we're talking here particularly about outreach and evangelism. It's not a one-man job. It's not something we undertake by ourselves. We go out with others. We need the support and the help and the encouragement of our brethren. And maybe some of our brethren can't come out. It's impossible for them. They're not at that age when it's convenient for them to engage in this kind of outreach. But nevertheless, they have or they can make an active contribution. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest. Those maybe who cannot be involved physically on the front line, as it were, they're not to be dismissed. They're not to think that they have no contribution. They can pray. They can pray that the Lord would send out laborers. They can pray that the work and the witness of the laborers might truly be blessed. They have an active role and they are not to be dismissed because it says not just a laborer but laborers and when the church is united in these matters friends we obviously cannot guarantee a blessing the work is in the hands of the holy spirit but where there is unity where there is harmony where there are, are people working together with a common aim, a common goal, and a common desire, you can expect the blessing of the Lord. When everyone does their part, you can expect 
the blessing of the Lord. And we should look for the blessing of the Lord. Therefore, it is laborers. It's not a one-man band. We depend upon each other. We need to be like Barnabas, the son of consolation. That's what his name means. He was one who was a great encourager. Someone great to know, who would help, who would do what he could, who would be engaged in all the works of the congregation. Barnabas indeed was the son of consolation. And another thing we need to notice about our, the harvest we're referring to here is, remember friends, it is the Lord's harvest. It is the Lord's. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. And when we say it's the Lord's harvest, it ultimately is the Lord's work. We might be, well be engaged in it in a very small part, but nevertheless, it is the Lord's work, and he will receive the honor and the glory. And we look to him, and therefore we cry to him that he might help us and that he would be with us. What is this harvest? Well, principally, as far as our text is concerned, it is surely the ingathering of souls into the kingdom of God. This is what really moved the Lord Jesus Christ to compassion here. And surely this is what moved the Lord Jesus Christ to leave heaven, to undertake everything that was required of him in order to purchase an eternal salvation for his people. That's the harvest. And friends, we do believe there is a great harvest. There's a great harvest maybe in the city. Who knows? We don't know these things, but we have our part to play. And therefore we recognize it is the Lord's harvest and we cry to the Lord that he might bless our work and the work of others. That indeed we might see in our own day and generation, many gathered in to the kingdom of God. Someone has said, quote, Battles are not won from armchairs, but by armies. And that should not be looked upon as a, as a reference to any current conflict. We're not talking about that for one moment. He's talking about people getting off their armchairs and getting involved. Battles are not won from armchairs, but by armies. And we're in the kingdom of God. There's a great harvest. We are to be encouraged. We are to do whatever lays to our hands, whatever opportunities we have, we are to do them. It is for laborers. It is for people who are going to work, who are going to expend energy upon this great task. It's upon people who will labor in prayer. And indeed, that is a work. As one minister said many years ago to myself, I've probably quoted it to you before, but prayer is the work. It is the work. And if we can be engaged in prayer, then we truly are working. I meant to quote this text and I haven't remem remembered it, but there was one in the book of Colossians who labored in prayer. 
Mr. McLeod preached about it at the seminary opening or closing on one occasion. Epaphras, was it? Epaphras, yes. He labored in prayer. And friends, prayer is not an easy work. Don't let anyone think for one moment that it's simply mouthing correct theological or biblical words. Friends, we can sweat in prayer. And indeed, we should be sweating in prayer. And the work for the, the kingdom of God is for laborers, for all of us to get together. And it is the Lord's harvest. Well, I want to look at this harvest in the light of the laborers. And I basically want to look at the work before the harvest, the work of the harvest, and the work after the harvest. Three things, three brief things. First of all then, laborers are required before the harvest. A harvest does not just suddenly come around. There is work to be done before you get a harvest. The soil has to be prepared. The seed has to be ordered. In our own day and generation, things like fertilizer, implements used in, in farming need to be prepared, serviced, or bought, or purchased, whatever. These things have to be ready, and people have to labor to do this in order that we might have a harvest at the due time. So it is for the private Christian. So it is for the congregation and for the denomination and for the Christian church in general. We should not think for one moment that there's going to be a harvest, a harvest of people being brought into the kingdom and hopefully brought into our congregation simply by the sovereignty of God. Now friends, I love the sovereignty of God as much as you would love the sovereignty of God and no one's going to pass it away or dismiss it. It's a truth, it's a reality, it's what we find in the scriptures and it's a wonderful comfort to the people of God to know that God is sovereign. The Lord doth reign and we're happy to preach upon it but Nothing will happen ordinarily unless we're involved in preparing for this harvest. What does the farmer do? He prepares. He prepares his ground. He does all that's required. And he does what he does in faith in a certain sense he, because he's looking forward to that day when he shall have a harvest and he'll be able to feed himself and provide for his home and provide for others. Now, if he, if he didn't do that, there would be no harvest. And therefore, maybe I'm speaking to the converted here, I don't know, but maybe we need to be reminded about these things. But our preparation is the preaching of the gospel and prayer. And we might say, holy living. Holy in the sense H-O-L-Y. Living according to the Word of God. 
This is something the preacher must take on board. In some sense, it's relatively easy to preach a sermon. Relatively. You can preach a good sermon from the Word of God. If you do a bit of study, a bit of meditation, preach in context, you can get a message, you can have applications, you can apply these things to the people you hear. But if your life is not consistent with what you preach, then who's going to listen to you? Who's going to take it on board when you tell people to deny yourself and you don't deny your own self? Who's going to listen? Well, if it's the same for the, uh, the, the preacher, it's exactly the same for the private Christian. There's no point in witnessing to someone about the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and how he has forgiven your sins if you're still living in sin. People can see through these things. And therefore, it's good to preach the gospel. It's good to quote the Bible. But friends, our lives must be an open Bible in many ways because very often the people you're seeking to witness to will be, will be far easier for them to read your life than to read the Bible and follow a sermon. So this is important. And we must prepare ourselves by the preaching, by the living according to God's word and by prayer, being persistent in prayer, living a life of prayer, because is it not true, ultimately, when we engage in prayer, are we not saying openly to the Lord our God, we cannot do this ourselves. We cannot. We need God. And if ever we need God, it's in evangelism. It's his harvest. It's his work. He must give the blessing. And therefore, laborers are required before there'll ever be a harvest. And laborers are required before you will ever have a, a spiritual harvest in your own life. Before you will bear the fruit of the Spirit, you must labor. The Christian life is not for idlers. You must labor if you're ever going to have a harvest. If you don't sow, you won't grow. It's true for the congregation and it's true for the private Christian also. Second thing then, Labors are required during the harvest. How would we manage? Ask yourself, how would we manage if through the preaching of the gospel and through living a gospel life, how would we manage if, if 10 people or 20 people or 30 people joined us? Could we handle it as a congregation? You might say, oh, well, yes, no problem. I'm not so sure. How would we manage? How would we adapt? How would it be like to get 30, 30 newborn Christians? What are they? They're babes in Christ. They'll come with all their, all their baggage. 
They'll come with all their difficulties. They'll come with all their problems. They'll come with all their questions. It would turn the congregation upside down. Oh, it might be, a, in fact, it would be a good position to be in. But how would we manage? Well, surely we need laborers when the harvest comes. You see, when the harvest comes, we're talking here about physical harvest. When the harvest comes, when the crop is ready, what happens? The work begins immediately to gather the harvest. There's no time for delay. Everything's put aside. The farmer sees the weather's ideal. It's dry. And in particular in Scotland, we don't know how long the weather's going to keep like it is. And therefore he says, my crop is ready. I've got to get this crop in immediately. Everything's put aside. They're up early, they're working late. Where I come from in the Highlands, when they're at the harvest, they've got lights on their combine harvesters and on their tractors. They're working through the night to bring in the harvest because tomorrow it might be soaking wet. And therefore there's an urgency about it. Well, it's exactly the same in the spiritual sense. Jesus talking about the kingdom of God in Matthew, sorry, Mark, talking a parable about the kingdom of God. In Mark chapter 4, verse 28 and 29, he says, For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, and after that the full corn in the ear. There he's talking about the, the physical food harvest. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. That's exactly the same in the spiritual realm. Friends, when people come, when they're brought into the kingdom, when it's ripe, we have to be ready, and we need laborers who are able to help these people and to guide them and to feed them and to look after them and to disciple them in the things of God. Now, during the harvest, and we're talking here about a spiritual harvest, when does the harvest come? Are there certain times when the, when the harvest comes? Well, there may well be. Times of sickness can be times of harvest. Did we not think that when the coronavirus came upon us, did we not think that God was moving and working? And were we not thinking that, well, maybe this might be a turning? God was doing something. Surely we'll see a harvest. Well, sometimes he does. And for the private individual, maybe when sickness comes upon them, what do they begin to do? They begin to think about eternity. They begin to think about the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe during a time of sickness, people are brought in to the kingdom of God. And we could add bereavement. Is that not a time when, when there's a harvest? When people are thinking about eternity and where are they going? Is that not a time of harvest? Sudden death, wars, natural disasters. These are, or they may well be, harvest times when the gospel bears fruit. 
as far as our Scottish tradition is concerned, there was a day when it would be fair to describe the, the communion seasons as harvest times. Is it not true that most congregations that we, we would be aware of in times past, they would have two communion seasons, like ourselves, ours is April and October. And at these times, was it not common for congregations to have a harvest of souls who would come forward at the communion time? Oh, we know it hasn't happened in recent years. But once upon a time, not that long ago, the communion seasons were looked upon as harvest times when they would reap, when their adherents would come forward and profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, let us pray for this in our day and generation, that our adherents, who are under the sound of the gospel, that they might come forth and it might be a harvest time for us. This is what we should be doing, because these are harvest times, and who knows if the Lord will send forth a blessing. Thirdly, briefly, laborers are required after the harvest. Harvests don't happen every day, every month. There are certain seasons. And we might well say, ordinarily, there are seasons when God works. And there are seasons when he is not so active as far as we can determine. And there are labors required after the harvest. In the physical sense, what happens? The farmer gathers in all his fruits, all his grain, whatever he gathers in his crop, he has it. He'll take some for himself, for his family. He'll take some to set aside in order that he might be able to plant again for a new crop, another harvest next year. But then he's got a surplus. What does he do? He will have it sold. He may need to prepare it. He will need people to look after the surplus and he would sell it on in order that he might be able to provide for his family. Well, it's exactly the same in the spiritual sense. Paul says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And after the harvest has gone and as far as we can ascertain, uh, the converting influence of the Spirit has left for a season. We look to the Lord to bless His Word. We look for the Lord to bless His Word upon the new converts, that they might grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Savior. And this requires laborers. We're back to this work of prayer again. Friends, let's turn our prayer meetings into petitions and prayers that the Lord of the harvest would work and move in our day and in our generation. It's the same for the private Christian. He is to bear fruit spiritually. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, 
faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. This is what is to be cultivated in the private Christian. And this is not going to happen unless we labor in the kingdom of God. Laborers are required. The more the merry. And we look for and long for the Lord to send forth his blessing. <laughs>